Well, thanks, Bev, for that, uh, that reading, and Annabelle before that. Uh, great to have these parts of the scripture before us. We're going to uh, have the final part of our series that we've been doing about God on mission in the Old Testament today. And uh, I'm going to pray uh, that God would help us uh, in the midst of all the cold and colds and all the other bits and pieces that are going on uh, to be able to make the most of this time. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time set aside in our week to turn our hearts and our minds to you. Father, we thank you that we've been able to lift your name up in praise and in prayer. And we pray now that we might sit under your word and that by your Holy Spirit, you might challenge us, change us and equip us so we'd be more and more like Jesus. For we ask it in his name. Amen. All right. Opening question to get us all thinking. Uh, Complete this sentence. Nothing is as certain as... Sorry? Death and taxes. Kathy, fantastic. I'm going to put that up on the screen because exactly, that's exactly what I had in mind. Nothing is as certain as death and taxes. Did someone have an alternative, something else that we're going to go on there? Yes? Sorry? Tomorrow. Nothing's as certain as tomorrow. That's very good. Jet lag. Jet lag. Okay. All right. Uh, we know where you've uh, just come from, Bernie. That's great. Uh, anyone got anything else? Nothing's as certain as... Sorry? The second coming of the Lord. Fantastic. I'm so pleased that you said that. Uh, I was anticipating no one would say anything like that. So that's lovely. Thank you. Uh, I think we're quite happy to take to the bank statements like, there's nothing as certain as death and taxes. And and I think, except for what? Well, except for the great promises of God. Nothing is is as certain as the great promises of God, the return of Jesus. Absolutely. These should be the things that our minds turn to when we think of certainty. Instead, we turn to death and taxes. Well, I think that's entirely fair enough. That's what our world tells us all the time. And I I certainly went that way as soon as I asked that question. What's a certain? Death and taxes. Well, here's something that you can know is absolutely certain. Uh, It's from John 3.16. Many of you have been taught it from when you were tiny. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There's a reason that these words are some of the most famous in the whole Bible. Yes? You have encapsulated there our great hope, resting on the sure promise and the certain character of our God. It says there, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And who's invited? Whoever would believe. Who does that include? Yeah, of course it includes us, and it includes a whole lot of people who right now haven't believed yet. So did Jesus just invent this idea? Did Jesus go, I think I'm going to tell you something about God. He loves the whole world. Did Jesus invent that? The answer is correct. No, the answer is no. Uh, He did not invent that. In fact, if you've been coming along, what you've been seeing over the last couple of weeks is that, or months, is that God has had the world in mind from the very start. God has had the world in mind from the very start. And so we saw right at the beginning a command to Adam and Eve to go and fill the whole earth. We saw after Noah and the flood a command to go and fill the earth and subdue it. We saw after the Tower of Babel that we were scattered into the whole world to take the message out. We saw the blessing to Abraham, which was that the whole world will be blessed through Abraham. 
And then last week, we saw in Isaiah a promise that said the whole world will be drawn in to God's holy city of Zion. So has God had the whole world in mind? Absolutely, from day one. And we've seen some of the first fruits. The first fruits are the little shoots coming out of the ground. We've seen that God's plan has been paying off. And so the first thing he did was he made a nation, Israel, to be distinct, a priestly nation. And can anyone remember why there's baked beans up there from the series? Sorry? SPC, standing for? What sort of nation were they to be? Separate, pure, and changed. Separate, pure, and changed. Set aside to be priests for God in a godless world. And, and so we saw some of these first fruits, except that's a bean, isn't it? First fruits. So the first fruit was that God made his, Israel, his nation, to be a, a distinct and priestly nation. And then we saw some little shoots coming through. So we've seen that Rahab said, we've heard of your God. We've heard of your God. And she trusted in the God of Israel. We saw, as Stuart preached, we saw um, that Ruth said, your God will be my God. As an outsider, she said, your God will be my God. We saw that in Nineveh, that the king of Nineveh believed in God. And Jeff reminded us when he preached that Nebuchadnezzar, in the end, said there is no other God like the God of Daniel and Rakshak uh, and Benny, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. There is, there is no other God like that. And so we've seen nations around the world and individuals outside the kingdom of Israel coming towards God. Amazing. So we've been saying again and again through this series, God's mission will be specific. He has chosen a holy people. It's going to be very specific. It's going to include Israel. But the purpose of Israel is to look to the whole world, that God's mission will be global and it will include the Gentiles. Have we got that? Some of you have. That's good. We've seen that because of his great love. Last week I said because of his great love, God will gather people from the ends of the world. In the last days, he said, he will gather people from the ends of the world. He will cause Israel to glow, to be a splendorous light before the nations and the nations from the ends of the earth will come in to Israel and it will be the engine room of God's restoration of all people will be because he gives his son who will pay the price for their sin. So, so God is sovereignly running mission all the way through the Old Testament. It's all pointing to Jesus and in him we have a fulfillment. So the direction is inward, people will be stuck in and Israel are to be a kingdom of priests. When will that happen? It'll happen in the last days. In the last days, all of this incredible influx will happen. And then we have Jesus' final words. Why don't we open them up? We're going to go to Matthew 28. So we're going to go to the New Testament. This is the last in our series on God on mission in the Old Testament. You see, if we didn't have all that background, when Jesus turns up, and he says these incredible words, we might think, hey, Jesus, when was God interested in the nations? Because uh, if we hadn't paid attention to this series, we might have thought the Old Testament was a book just about Israel. We've seen it's not. The world was always on view. And so here we are at the end of Matthew's account of Jesus' life. Jesus has come. He's lived a holy life. 
He's died on the cross for our sins. He's been raised and now hear his final words to his disciples. Then Jesus came to them and said these incredible words. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How much authority is there, do you think? All of it. All authority has been given to Jesus. And therefore, we see a therefore. Therefore, because all authority has been given to Jesus, go and make disciples of, what does it say there? All nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So what do we see here? Jesus is picking up a theme that we've seen at work from day one in the story of the Old Testament. He's saying, you need to do this thing. Disciples, you need to go out, because as you go out to all the nations, as you share the good news about Jesus, one day they will all come in. One day they will come in. And so we have here this thing called the Great Commission. And uh, I think one of the things about the Great Commission is uh, we think it might be optional. Because commission is not a word we use very much, is it? What do we commission? We don't really do it, do we? We have a royal commission. That's a terrible thing, isn't it? We don't commission things. So when, when we have this great commission, we go, oh, that's the great commission. And we think, oh, right, what do I need to do with that? I, I want you to see that it is actually a command from our Lord. Therefore, go. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So if he's our Lord and he's commanding us, who should be involved in that, do you think? It's a rhetorical question morning, you see. Who should be involved? All of us, right? And, and should we say, Jesus, I'm a little bit busy. Uh, you didn't have me in mind when you commanded everyone to go. No, we shouldn't. We shouldn't say, Jesus, you don't know that I'm one of those retiring types. I, I'm not really, I, I don't, I'm happy to quietly pray. Is that all right? And Jesus would say, oh, yes, there's actually an asterisk there. Sound right? Jesus, I'm actually a little bit tired and a little bit busy at work. I can't possibly fit in this great commission of yours. That's okay, right? Jesus, I've retired, and I've actually retired from the Great Commission as well, if that's okay. Does that sound okay? That is fine. Did someone say that? Good. Excellent. Thank you, Kathy. Great. Okay, excellent. Well, Kathy says it's okay, so I think we should be right. Uh, I think the answer is no, it's not okay. Now, I know it, we're making light of it, but here's the thing. We all want to put an asterisk next to this, don't we? God, I tell you what, I will be on great commission time with you once I've brought up my kids, finished this assignment, done this heavy section at work, come back from holidays, got enough friends that I could... We've got all the excuses in the world. But it's not a great suggestion. It's a great commission. It's a great command. And so he says for you and I to go and make disciples of all nations because he has been about all nations from day one. And you think to yourself, well, I'm not ready. I am tired. I might not have enough friends. I am retired. 
How am I supposed to do this? And God says, I didn't just kick you out the door and give you a heavy burden. He says, I actually gave you power for the task as well. Have a look at this beautiful, beautiful verse in Acts 1.8. He said to them, <laughs> the, the disciples are saying, so is the end of the world about to come? And Jesus says to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, the the disciples are the people who were scared and afraid. They were the ones who had the door locked for fear of the Jews, yeah, when Jesus came. They're also the ones who were upstairs when the Holy Spirit eventually came on them because they weren't out there sharing the good news despite the Great Commission. But God sent his Holy Spirit to empower them, to give them the energy, the strength, the focus, the conviction to go and fulfill this task that he had entrusted to them. And so I want to tell you today that it is personal. You will receive power. And what do we think that means? The person sitting one seat to the right of me will receive power. Yes? No, no, no. You will receive power. It's personal. It's personal and it's powerful. How do I know that it's personal and powerful? In my own life. God commissioned me and called me to go and be his disciple. And uh, this verse is the foundation verse for a a thing we called SMPG, Saturday Morning Prayer Group. And uh, after school, a bunch of my high school friends and I decided that we would get together on a Saturday morning and pray every Saturday morning at 7 o'clock. So we had a a nice house for this, uh, downstairs and upstairs. Upstairs had its own uh, living room and its own kitchen. And so at 7 o'clock in the morning, a little queue would form outside my door. I would open it on Saturday morning, and people would stomp up the stairs into our little living room, and we would pray together, and we would ask God to empower us to be witnesses in this way. In Jerusalem, that's your local area. In Judea, the area just outside that. Samaria, cross-culturally, and the ends of the earth, where does that include? Everywhere. So that group, that group grew. And uh, from a a group of three of us, or four of us, um, grew to the point where at some point we had 20 people meeting on a Saturday morning. And, And we have missionaries now in China. We have missionaries in Kazakhstan. We've got people who teach in Christian schools. Got some people who are ministers in churches. But it was a group of ordinary people who decided that we wanted the Holy Spirit to come and empower us to do the work of taking the gospel to the ends of the world. Ordinary people just like you. How is that made possible? Not because they're brighter, smarter, more committed. No, no, no. Because the Holy Spirit, the person of God's Holy Spirit, empowered us to have a heart to care about the world. He might be interested in doing that in you. Did you know that? We should ask him, come and empower us, God. Come and empower us to be your witnesses. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to go out. We're supposed to go out. Wherever we are tomorrow is a great place to start. Which brings us to this wonderful passage. I'd love you to open up 2 Corinthians 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So you'll find it after 1 Corinthians, interestingly enough. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And uh, someone can give me the page number. That would be great. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
Sorry? What? Oh, I got two at the same time. The, uh, the, the, the pew Bible size is 1159 and... 1757 if you're in the large print. Open it up. It's really great. What I want you to see is what God's plan is and why it involves you. Okay, we've heard, we've heard from Jesus the Great Commission. We've heard from Acts the, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And now I want you to see how it fits together. Uh, we've got a picture up there of young Kevin uh, with his arm around an Aboriginal lady. And this word is the word that we would have in mind, reconciliation, the restoration of broken relationship. That's how we think about it in Australia, and it's, a, it's an appropriate thing. I think it's at NADOC week, this week. Uh, we should think about reconciliation, the restoration of the broken relationship between uh, uh, our native Australians and uh, the, the people who came after them, reconciliation in that sense. I want you to see there's a grander sense of which this should be a smaller expression. Um, have a look with me at verses uh, five, uh, uh, 17 to 19 here. I want you to note how many times the word reconciliation appears. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. How many is that? Four. Here's what I want you to know. Reconciliation between God and humans is necessary because of sin. It is possible because of Jesus. Reconciliation is done in Jesus. That's incredible. You'll notice that he said he has entrusted it to us. Uh, here's a lovely picture. Um, I didn't get the names, unfortunately, uh, but it is uh, Australian ambassador uh, in Thailand, I think it is, handing over uh, something there, Australian ambassador. Uh, this is the word that the Bible is about to use about you and I. We are ambassadors, not in the, um, the, uh, the sense of... Um, ending up in pubs in London or something as Australian ambassadors. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about something more profound. Have a look with me at verses 19 to 21. The God is reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, what has God done? He's committed this message of reconciliation to us. He has made you and I ambassadors. They have been appointed. And the God who does not make mistakes has appointed you. Has appointed you to be an ambassador. So where you go tomorrow, you go as an ambassador for Christ. How do you feel about that? <laughs> Tell you what the reaction is typically whenever I do this. Whenever I do this, I say to people, you're Christ's ambassadors. And people stand on the seats and they cheer and they, everywhere I go, that's what happens. Can I tell you what happens? 
Seriously, every place I go. People duck their heads. They cross their arms, fold their legs, and hope he's talking about somebody else. God, what were you thinking? How could I be your ambassador? It says here God was making his appeal through you. Not the person through you. And guys, I want to ask you, because I want you to hear it for you personally, when was the last time you spoke as an ambassador for Jesus? Great answer. Great answer. I love, I love to hear that. But I want to say to some of you that you are good people for Jesus. And that is not a bad thing. And I don't want you to stop being good people for Jesus. But a non-speaking ambassador is about as useful as what? Something that's not very useful. Don't, don't, don't throw that one back at me. There are some answers, perhaps, for that, and I don't want to know. I don't think. So here's the thing. Non-speaking ambassadors are hopeless. How can God make his appeal through you if you never speak? Now, guys, you can agree that that logic is clear, is it not? The problem is you think, how the heck am I supposed to speak? What am I supposed to do? When would I speak? Can I encourage you? that this is a great day to speak. Today is a great day to speak. Uh, you often see uh, these closing down sales, yeah? Last days, get in before the last days. There's a beautiful, uh, beautiful phrase that we use called the, uh, the eschaton. It means the end of the age, okay? The end of the age. The last days have come. Have a look with me at chapter 6, verses 1 to 2. As God's co-workers, Paul writes to them, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Now, seriously, get on your seats for that because that's pretty exciting. Because what that means is we're in the last days now. God has poured out his Holy Spirit. He has anointed people. He's commanded them. He's commissioned them. He's got the ends of the world in mind. The last days are here. Today is a great day to get saved. God is ready right now to save people. And so the job of reconciliation is done. Ambassadors have been appointed. God stands ready to save. Let's get practical about how to use these last days. Let's get super practical about how to use these last days. We have some tips for how to do it. Because I think ordinary Australians find being an ambassador for Jesus almost impossible. In fact, if I use the magic secret word that will strike fear into your hearts, we never use it here. But if I use this magic word, you will decide that you can't possibly do it. If I say evangelize, all of you will have a chilly little thing run up your spine and you'll think, I can't possibly do that. So what do we talk about here at New Life? We talk about living new life for Jesus, but we talk about giving the message of new life. Do you notice how nice that is? Isn't that friendly? Talk about giving the message of new life. Do you know, because if I tell you to evangelize, you'll have a heart attack. So I don't want you to evangelize. I want you to do something far more friendly. Why don't you give the message of new life? How should we do that? Well, I don't want you to have a sweaty conversation. Do you know what I'm talking about? The sweaty conversation is where you go, oh, I should talk to my friend about Jesus. Jesus loves you. And then you can go back and tell your life group, I had a great conversation today. I told my friend about Jesus today. 
And I'd say to you guys, well done if you got it out, but I don't want it to be a sweaty conversation. We don't want that for you. Instead, we want rather a prayerful, intentional engagement with those our Father loved before us. You hear what it is? It's prayerful, it's intentional engagement. And do you know who loves them more than you do? God, more than you do. He loved them before you did. He will love them after you did. That's brilliant, isn't it? So what do we want you to do? We want you to connect with people. We want you to care for people. We want you to communicate clearly about Jesus. And we want you to lead to them, them to commit to him as king. And we've got a way to help you do that. In fact, I'm going to get, can someone help me hand these out? Um, Alec and Michelle, can you guys help me? Um, I want everyone to have one of these now. If you guys go there, that, go this one, and you guys can go here. Um, if you've already got one, guess what? Pass it on. Some of you won't. Grab one. I want you to get this little brochure. I want you to open it up. It's called our guide to giving and living the message of new life. Our guide to giving and living the message of new life. And what I want you to do is I want you to open it up to the middle. The middle looks like this. It's got a tree in it. You may recognize the tree from somewhere. Very good. Uh, so you know, trees grow from the ground. So here we are, we're on this side over here, giving the message of new life. Connect, care, communicate, commit. And what I want you to do is I want you to look at down here where it says connect. Are you with me? Everyone got one? Getting one, very good. Here we go. The way we take the first step, it says there, undertaking the first step, are you praying and looking for people God's prepared? Are you praying and looking for people God's prepared? And we have a little tool at New Life we call our 316-441 card. Yes, it's a mouthful. Basically, what we want to do is give you a card like this that invites you to pray for four people by name. A family member, a friend, a next-door neighbor, and someone you're yet to meet. If you don't have one of our cards, I've got them here, and they're on the welcome desk as well. What we'd love you to do before you speak is to be prayerful, prayerful. So uh, this is, Steve, is, is yours still there? You don't have the car anymore, but I'm sure the card is sitting faithfully there. Uh, what Steve did is uh, he stuck his, uh, stuck his uh, card in there uh, above his steering wheel so that every day he would remember to pray for his people. So I want you to be prayerful people. And then it says underneath there, we can consider... Who do I know who I don't know here? So when I go to school, I need to try and work hard as I pick people up, from, my kids up from school. I need to work hard to see, can I chat with someone who I don't know here to connect? Now, some of you will be thinking that's really hard. Get praying and make yourself available and see what God can do in you. Start by connecting. Secondly, move up. We talk about care, which is about seeking to be a blessing seeking to be a blessing. And my, my canonical example for this is, uh, in your workplace, if you're ever workplace, or in your social space, in fact, even here at church, there is a sink that accumulates cups that nobody drank from. Do you know what I'm talking about? Nobody ever drank from them. But they grow up through the plug hole and they multiply in the sink. Have you noticed this? Every place that you go to, Seek to be a blessing is find something that no one is doing in your place that everyone doesn't want to do. Do that. Be a blessing. Find something to do. So it starts with cups and it moves to having a cuppa. You see? So what needs have we heard? Can we meet them? Do you want to come over to our place? 
So we want to invite people into our lives by caring for them. Care practically and then invite them into our lives. We've connected, we've cared. Is it practical so far? Oh, folks, is it practical? Oh, good, yes, I'm feeling the love now. That's great. All right. Now, a lot of us might be very comfortable saying, hey, I connected with someone and I cared for them. I'm out. And this says, don't stop there. Communicate. Find a way to speak clearly about Jesus. And you'll notice there that we've got two questions we want you to think about. The question is, what's your background with the church? Before you speak about Jesus, ask people what their background is with the church. Why? First of all, because it shows that you're caring. Second of all, they may have any number of barriers that if you don't stop to find out about, you'll be trampling all over. Real people have hurt and brokenness in their lives. And if all we want to do is get a notch in our belt at Life Group to say we had a Jesus conversation today, we will not be slowing down sufficiently to help them here. So ask them what their background is with the church. And then I want to encourage you to speak clearly about what difference Jesus has made in your life. It says there, can I share with you how Jesus has changed my life? And we have a pattern we've been trying to show you at church where we've talked about before, how, and now. Have you seen us do that? Before I became a Christian, my life was like this. How I became a Christian was this. Now my life is different because of this. Do you have that story clear? Some people do. Good on you, Bernie. Some of you will say right now, I do not have my story clear enough. Do you want to know what your homework is? Let you in a secret. Go sort that out. Can I tell a relatively succinct story of before I became a Christian, how I became a Christian, and what difference knowing Jesus has made now? Does that make sense? Fantastic. You've communicated clearly about Jesus. So we're done. No. One more. What we need to do is we need to invite people to commit. We want to invite them to repentance, faith, and baptism. And so we ask people, what are the barriers towards committing to Jesus? What are the barriers that they might have? When I asked that question of a guy I was speaking to in uh, Wollongong, he said to me, "Um, I don't think I could go to work and have my mates know that I'd made this decision. I said, okay, well, we can talk about that. But if I don't know what that barrier is, and I'm trying to get him to become a Christian, we haven't had a proper conversation. Tell me what the problem is. What's the barrier? Ask people what the barrier is. And then, wonderfully, you can invite them to make a decision today. Do you see that the, under um, commit there, it says, would you like to pray with me to begin this new life today? You can say to people, today is a great day to get saved. You can Because you're his ambassador. Sound practical? Might sound impossible, but apparently there's this Holy Spirit guy who'd like to help you out. So how about we pray in that? So here's the thing. God's been on mission through the whole Old Testament, and he still is on mission today. We saw that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, and he's making his appeal through us. So I want to finish our series by telling you that God's mission is specific. He needed Israel to be his holy people. It was global in scope from day one. It included the Gentiles. And I want to finish by telling you that God's mission is profoundly personal and it includes us, you and I. How about I pray? 
Heavenly Father, I thank you that you've done everything to reconcile us to to yourself in Jesus. Father, I thank you that that means there is the opportunity of a fresh start with you. Full forgiveness. Lord, I want to pray if there's anyone here today who does not know that forgiveness, that they might take hold of it this day. That they might hear that you are the loving God who desires them to spend eternity with you. Father, I pray for the rest of us who've taken hold of that offer of new life. And I ask, Lord, that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit to be your ambassadors. Give us eyes to connect and care and communicate and lead people to commit. And we pray that, Father, so that your mission, the mission you've been on since the foundation of the world, might find fulfillment around your throne with a great multitude from every tribe, language, and nation. We ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, it's, uh, it's great to have that vision before us, isn't it? I'm terrible. Don't ask uh, rhetorical questions, hey. Um, I think it's pretty exciting, seriously. Yay. It's pretty exciting. Salvation's on offer. God has done everything for us to be reconciled to him. And we're going to celebrate today how it is that that reconciliation was made possible by taking the Lord's Supper together. And I would encourage you, if you're someone who's visiting us today and you are trusting in the Lord Jesus, then you are very welcome to take part in this meal with us. And if at this point in time, you're not sure whether you're trusting in Jesus wholeheartedly, I'd encourage you, maybe let it go past today so that in a couple of weeks' time, you'll be able to say, I'm all in. I'm part of Jesus' family. I want to be his ambassador in this world. So we're going to eat and drink together. And the way we're going to do it is we're going to say some words together up the front that I think keep us focused and point us towards the great hope that we have. Now, given our response this morning, just going to warm you up a little bit. I'm going to say something and I want you to say something back. Is that okay? And you don't have to think about what the answer is. The answer, yes, I'm not sure. What's he, what's he saying? It's up there and I'd love you to just punch it back to me. So that'd be great. Lift up your hearts. Outstanding. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Well, on the night before he died, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, Take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after supper, he took the cup and again giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples saying, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these gifts of your creation and pray that we who eat and drink them in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, believing our Saviour's word, may be partakers of his body and blood. Amen. As we eat this bread and drink this cup, we do this until he returns. Well, come, let us eat and drink. And remember that Christ died for us 
and feed on him in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving. So what we're going to do is we're going to pass around uh, the bread and the juice. I'm going to ask some guys to help me. Yep, Steve and Bernie and Luke and Kathy and Jeff. That would be great. Uh, Lorraine, do you want to come and help? Was that, are you okay with that? No? Great. Ali. Oh, great. You've been nominated, Ali. Outstanding. So what we want you to do as they come around, if you can hold on to them and we'll eat together. So Steve, drinks from the front. Uh, Kathy, do you want to do that one? 